Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Joseph Selby, and we'll be talking about his new book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, Neuroscience, Inspiration, and Practices to Transform Your Life. Break Through the Limits of the Brain connects the dots between the discoveries of neuroscience and the meditation-born spiritual experience, as well as offering proof, proven and practical ways to tap into the life-changing, life-enhancing treasure house of our superconscious potential. Break Through the Limits of the Brain delves into the scientific support for the existence of a subtle, non-local reality that strongly suggests that we are that we exist simultaneously in both a subtle and physical reality, and that our thoughts, life force, emotions, and memories originate non-locally. Joseph Selby is author of The Physics of God, that breaks through, breaks through the limits of the brain, and the Yuga. He is an avid follower of the unfolding new paradigms of science, and he is known for creating bridges of understanding between the modern evidence-based discoveries of science and the ancient experience-based discoveries of the mystics. For more information, you can visit his website, which is josephselby.com, and that's josephselby.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Joseph to the show. Good day, sir. Well, good day to you. Thanks for having me on your show. It is my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our discussion, um, especially as it comes into the, that quantum line, locality. I've, I've always been, well, not always, I've recently been becoming more and more fascinated with the discoveries of, of that in that area. Um, so let, let's start with um, the limits of the brain. Um, so can you tell us, the um, when you say break through the limits of the brain, is it are we talking the the physical limits of the brain or something bigger than just the physical aspect? Something bigger. So the physical brain is a an amazing organ, and it does a lot of essential and wonderful things for us. But it simultaneously uh, tends to block us from being aware of our higher potential, our higher superconscious awareness, feeling, abilities. And it does so by our own uh, programming of it. So from our earliest infancy, we start creating neural circuits 
in our brain. We don't do it consciously, obviously, but the effect is that the brain creates neural circuits to support whatever we're doing. So as infants, we're exploring how to move the body, you know, from as, as simple as moving arms and legs just randomly to learning to crawl, learning to walk, learning to talk. And all of those activities, very essential to our uh, being able to function, begins to be supported by more and more uh, sophisticated, more and more complex neural circuits in the brain that, for example, when we're talking about walking, walking is, is a sequence of movements, and that sequence of movements involves uh, scores of muscles in the body. And so a, a circuit is created to help us walk by uh, the brain so that we don't have to think through every single movement. It just happens more or less automatically. So the brain is is uh, an essential tool to us being able to function. But as we grow older, we start to create more and more circuits that end up uh, being our entire automatically supported reality. So trains of thought, chains of memories, uh, emotional reactions to things, all of these also are supported by our neural circuits. They're not simply neural circuits that support physical movement, but every aspect of what we do and experience is supported by those circuits. And you get to the point where you have what I refer to as a uh, fireworks show taking place in your brain all the time, and that uh, a sensory stimulus, maybe it's a sound, maybe it's somebody saying something to you, maybe it's a uh, thought that triggers another thought, and it's a cascade effect. So all these circuits that we've created in our mind, in our brain rather, um, stimulate one after the other, after the other, until generally, by the time we're adults, we have a, a, a continuous fireworks show happening that entertains us. It's a show with which we are familiar because we created all the, the behaviors that led to the circuits forming. But it, unknown to us, and certainly unintentionally by us, it creates a, an awareness that blocks us from knowing about deeper realities of our being. So let me just give you one great example of how that uh, higher potential gets obscured is to talk about the potentials of people who uh, experience them in, under uh, conditions of great need. For example, Charles Lindbergh, uh, famously known for flying from New York to Paris solo for the first time, an actual solo flight was completed successfully. But what many people don't know is that during that flight, he had to fight an almost uncontrollable urge to fall asleep. He had been 
working steadily for weeks before his flight. He was kept awake most of the night before he left uh, by one thing and another. So he described his his eyes as feeling like salted stones, like an hour out of New York and heading out over the Atlantic. And he realized, he knew full well, they fell asleep, it, he would die. He wouldn't die right away, but essentially he would either veer off course and never find land before he ran out of fuel, or he might actually crash into the ocean if he fell asleep. So he was uh, highly motivated <laughs> to, to stay awake, and he concentrated so hard that he broke into another level of awareness, and he described it in his book as being like a uh, spherical awareness, and that he was he was bodiless. He felt like uh, he was more spirit than body, and in that spherical awareness, he could actually see beyond the cockpit, and he could see in all directions. He also felt wonderfully uplifted. He felt no uh, desire to sleep any longer. He was full of energy. And that experience carried him all the way to Paris. So this is a potential that we all have. But he experienced it having to, to break through the limits of his own brain. So that is the limit. It's a self-imposed limit that we tend to create this whole uh, fireworks show of interlocking neural circuits that keeps us from knowing we have this deeper potential. Yeah, so, and I read, you know, along with that story, there was a story of um, a woman who, you know, saw her father underneath the car and she basically lifted up. And we've heard stories of, of people kind of having this um, supernatural kind of strength in, in that particular time of, of need. Does, um, does there need to be um, kind of a, a, a force or, or, or some, something major in order to break through that? That limitation, I mean, it seems like a lot of times, you know, that the, the, the cause or, or maybe the, you know, event leading up to that experience um, has to be dramatic in order for it to occur, or does it not? Well, it often is, and those dramatic uh, kind of situations often make it into newspapers, and that's how we get uh, awareness of them. As you mentioned, there, in addition to this story I put in the book about a woman named Charlotte Heffelmeyer who managed to lift the front end of a truck off of her father who was trapped underneath the truck. Uh, you'll run into stories like that in newspapers or online accounts, you know, easily once a year and, and more often. But the ones you don't hear about in that context so much are various uh, saints or sages or extraordinary people who have deliberately developed that kind of 
what seems like supernatural strength by attuning themselves through practices like meditation, through uh, various uh, concentration techniques that allow them, if they so choose, to draw that kind of energy. Or, as I think more people would be drawn to, is to draw that expanded consciousness and awareness, the super consciousness, as I refer to it in the book, uh, that Charles Lindbergh had and that is really the keynote, if you will, of the experiences of saints, sages, mystics uh, throughout the millennia. Yeah, uh, and that's good to know. <laughs> we don't have to have that dramatic experience. And that the experience, um, experiences can be, we, we can train ourselves to experience that perspective, um, you know, outside of drama or trauma, that, that it's something that we can develop if we choose. Yes. And we do have to choose because otherwise our uh, current circuits, neural circuits that we formed, will just keep uh, automatically moving us along. And it's not as if we don't create new circuits because we can create new circuits at any time, but we tend to create them in the same direction as the circuits we already have, which keeps mm. us, again, uh, distracted from deeper realities. So what we need to do is be more methodical about creating new circuits that also support an activity, but in this case the activity is higher awareness or, um, you know, feeling greater sense of energy or uh, any of uh, a number of really, truly wonderful experiences that we can have. And the key to creating these new neural circuits, or if you want, you can think of it as, as a rewiring of the brain, um, is meditation. Meditation is really a, uh, a practice that creates a, a gateway to those deeper experiences, because they they are us. Those those experiences are really our our greater self, our higher potential. And when we meditate, we tap into that and experience it, or connect to it, or become more aware of it. Any of those phrases are are equally true of the experience. And if you meditate regularly even for a short while, your brain will obligingly create new circuits that, to begin with, just make meditating easier. It's easier to sit still. It's easier to concentrate. But that's just the beginning. And where it takes you through stillness and concentration is into uh, a wonderful fullness of experience of yourself, of spirit, you feel deep and wonderful emotions of safety, of peace, of love, 
of ultimately just joyousness. And in those experiences, it allows the best of who we are to come out. And beyond those come extraordinary experiences like Charles Lindbergh described and other saints and sages have described throughout the millennia of of this truly bodiless awareness, you know, transcending the limits of physical body, physical brain, physical senses. Yeah. Now, when it comes to meditation, some people um, find the practice of kind of slowing the mind down uh, can be daunting for people. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and also, even though, you know, I think, you know, lately or in, in more in today's world, people have a, a wider view of meditation, but I think there are still a lot of people who look at the idea of meditation and sitting down, you know, legs crossed as, as the only way to meditate. Um, can you share your experience just, you know, with meditation, with, you know, and for those out there who maybe have tried it and, and felt maybe they failed, you know, at doing it, can you tell us a little bit about just different ways of meditating and, and how we can um, get better at it? Well, I think that you could say that meditation is just like any other practice. If you don't already know how to do it, it's going to take some time to to learn how to do it. So no one expects to uh, begin playing tennis and play tennis at, you know, the level of Serena Williams. You, mm -hmm. you do have to learn. You have to develop those circuits. Uh, when you're playing tennis that help you move your body in the ways that are, are going to support playing tennis well. So the same is true of meditation. We don't start out being able to simply uh, sit down, and which, by the way, you don't need to sit cross-legged on the floor. You can just sit in a chair, and um, you want to sit in an upright sort of uh, posture. You don't want to be slumped back into the chair itself. Uh, I just want to make sure I mentioned that because it is a, a common uh, block to people thinking that they, they need to be able to sit cross-legged on the floor for long periods of time, and that's generally, for Westerners, not possible, certainly not immediately. But there's two things you're trying to achieve in meditation, both of which you need to learn. One is to sit still. That's the first thing that we tend to encounter uh, as being difficult when we first start to meditate. You just are squirming. You know, you're restless. You're, you're um, feeling. You're suddenly aware of just how kind of tense you are, and you start having to, like, deliberately let go of uh, feeling in the back of being tight or uh, you, you want to kind of shift slightly in order to relax the body. And this can be useful in the first minute or two of meditating. Uh, 
But one of the tips I always offer people is that if you can deliberately resist the desire to move for even just five minutes, you will find that the it's as if the body just lets go and says, oh, okay, we're just, we're going to sit still now. And you can have much better results than if you keep hoping that by just one more little shift, you'll finally relax. Better to just say, okay, I'm, I'm sitting where I'm sitting. My position is just fine. I don't need to keep shifting it. I need to resist the impulse to move. And then you break into a kind of relaxed stillness that is in and of itself extremely relaxing. It's the beginning of uh, releasing any kind of uh, long-standing uh, tension patterns that you have in the body. They will tend to start letting go. And when that happens, it feels great. It feels wonderful. Just that. The other thing you want to try to do in meditation, which is, in the long run, a bigger challenge, is to try to get the mind to stop just galloping along in, you know, free association of thoughts and ideas and, you know, exploring what you did yesterday and what you need to do tomorrow uh, in an endless uh, process. Now, there are schools of thought on this that differ. You know, one is to just simply watch it and let the thoughts come and let the thoughts go. This is kind of the essence of mindfulness meditation. But there are other techniques that are a little bit more deliberate in the way thoughts, and one of those is a technique that I've been practicing myself for, well, almost 50 years now, which is called the Hung Saw Technique. So the Hung Sao technique uh, essentially embraces the, the tendency for the mind to want to dwell on something. It wants to think about something. So it's very difficult to literally become thoughtless. Uh, you mm -hmm. may one day attain that, but, but the mind tends to want to have a focus. So the Hung Sao technique uh, asks you to focus on your breath. And as you uh, breathe in, to say hung, and then as you breathe out, to say saw, and just say it mentally only, so you're not actually speaking, but in your mind, you're saying that, and you're just watching the breath. You're not trying to control the breath. There is no... Uh, right breathing. It shouldn't necessarily be deep. It shouldn't necessarily be shallow. It shouldn't necessarily be drawn out. Just let it be, and but simply watch it and say hung and saw as you breathe. And what you'll find is that your mind calms down, just in the same way that your physical body will uh become more still, your mind will slow down, and you will have an even greater sense of release and relaxation as a result. Now, I'm leaving out a lot of important 
things about how to practice Hung Sa, and if people are interested, it's, it's both in my book, uh, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, it's in my book, The Physics of God, but it's also available on my website, josephselby.com, and it gives you the fine points of how to practice it and how to establish a, a regular uh, meditation routine. Yeah, but that's great. Um, and, and that's wonderful. I I have a um, a CD of uh, chakra tones that I play. Well, I, I my mind is like that as far as you know, going from one spot to another to another to another. And I've even um, listened to guided meditations. Um, you know, with uh, the desire of kind of what's being said be the focus of my attention. But sometimes that, for me, you know, it, it's just kind of maybe a word in the meditation will take me on a tangent or something. So, but I, I, for me, I, that particular, you know, range of tones is like the seven tones and I just repeat over and over and over again. If I focus my attention on the tone, um, that for me that works incredibly well because it, it it just takes away all the words you know that would go through and it just but but I am focusing my attention on something you know my brain is focusing on something um, yeah so that yes guided meditations are are very successful and very popular and I can't recommend uh, any you know specifically over any other but there are. Uh, thousands to choose from these days, but they do mm -hmm. uh, do exactly what you said, that they give your mind something to focus on, and mm -hmm. then that also causes your thoughts to, you know, stop their rabbiting around, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, jumping from one thought to another. So, guided meditations are very effective. I there are guided meditations that I would, in, in general, recommend that that steer you step-by-step uh, step toward feeling a sense of the presence of spirit that, that take you into uh, some, some approach to superconsciousness as opposed to some that are more... Um, I don't know, so, uh, um, focused on just relaxing the body and relaxing the yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I've listened to both types. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, I think the, the beauty is each person is different, um, and each person's wiring is different, and so, you know, a guide, you know, an appropriate guide um, would be, you know, just as um, unique as the individual. So, I mean, you know, people can – what I did is I would go and sit through the process of elimination. You know, oh, this, this particular one, <laughs> I didn't feel relaxed at all, or, you know, this one got me into a, you know, meditative state quickest, you know, or, you know, those kinds of things. That um, So certainly, it's, like you say, there are thousands out there, and people can you know, find out what works for them. Um, 
Now, we, we talked about superconscious awareness, and the one one area like I mentioned earlier is um, the quantum physics, you know, knowledge that's being um, I don't think being discovered, but it's being people are becoming more aware of, of the quantum aspect of life. Um, can you can you give us your perspective of um, how quant how the quantum perspective has shifted our um, view of not only how the brain works, but, you know, also its connection to the superconscious. Well, physics gives us a very significant support for the some of the more esoteric uh, spiritual teachings or experiential spirituality, as I refer to them, because in the experiential spiritual traditions, they all speak to a subtle reality that we are simultaneously a part of. So in some traditions, it's called the, the astral body uh, and the astral regions, or it's the subtle body and the more subtle regions, but they're really just all names for the same thing. As you, if you read those various traditions carefully, you'll begin to see that they're, they're just describing the same experiences that people have using different words from their eras and their, their traditions. So physics actually suggests, uh, in some of the string theories, but the particular one that I find the most supporting and the most fascinating, is what's called M-theory. And M-theory posits uh, that there is a vast realm, kind of hard to use a term like that to describe uh, what I'm talking about, because it's not a physical space. It's not a, uh, it doesn't even have space in it. <laughs> it's pure energy. And it's so vast, that really unlimited numbers of physical universes could exist in it. And that those realms of pure energy are very evocative of the way the astral regions are described. The astral regions are described also as being uh, pure light. And so there really is effectively no difference between energy and light. Uh, it's just a matter of, of frequency, if you will. So the descriptions of the astral regions or the subtle realms are also that they are uh, two-dimensional. They're spaceless. They are, there is no matter existing in them. But the fascinating thing, uh, coming back to what what you were asking me is that the M-theorists have the concept, and it's really from M-theory that it was came to popular attention, 
But the M theorists posit that our physical universe is created from the energy realm and that it does so through the mechanism of holography so that the physical universe is a holographic projection of the intelligently ordered template that exists in the energy world. So what it suggests for each one of us personally is that our physical body is a holographic projection of our subtle reality or our subtle body, our astral body, and that this dynamic is continuous, that we are simultaneously existent in two bodies. This is hard to take in if this is new to one, um, mm -hmm. because it suggests a very different uh, reality in which we exist than, than the one that is just purely the, the physical universe. But there's a lot of evidence that supports the notion that this this subtler us, this astral us, is the origin of our consciousness. It's the origin of our thoughts. It's the origin of our emotions. Because there's yet be any uh, convincing evidence to support the notion that our brain produces our thoughts and our brain produces consciousness. This is the given assumption from the kind of core of uh, science these days, that from the perspective of scientific materialism. But even though they are these scientists who, who, who embrace scientific materialism are telling us that consciousness must arise from the brain, they haven't shown in any way how it actually does arise from the brain. And so do thoughts and even our emotions and our memories. But on the other hand, you have many, many uh, traditions, spiritual traditions, telling us that consciousness exists beyond the brain that rather than the brain creating consciousness, in a very real way, consciousness creates the brain. Our, our more subtle, more energetic self actually creates the brain, and that in that subtle self is mind, emotion, memory, thought. So the way I like to put it, or maybe summarize it, is that we always have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. That we are simultaneously, inextricably, both of those realities at every moment of our awareness. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, definitely um, a way of um, giving some kind of, you know, visual um, representation of a, a kind of what what is going on energetically, 
Um, gosh, we're um, past halfway through the show, Joseph. I want to take just a real quick break. Um, and then when we come back, I want to go a little bit more into that and the aspect of non-local phenomena, you know, and, and uh, how that answers many questions that maybe the materialistic science, you know, can't address or doesn't address, okay? Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us. Again, today, my special guest is Joseph Selby, and we're talking about his new book, Great to the Limits of the Brain, Neuroscience, Inspiration, and Practices to Transform Your Life. Again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is josephselby.com, and that's josephselby.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Joseph? Yes. So um, you were mentioning the quantum physics aspect and non-locality. Now, one of the uh, when I was reading the book and you were going through that particular discussion, one of the things that really stuck out to me was the idea that um, that existence, the physical existence, and that additional um, existence, you know, that um, maybe astral is going, the fact that it's going out simultaneously um, would lend uh, support for one of the things that a lot of um, people who talk about the afterlife or the spirit realm or, you know, that kind of thing is that, you know, our personality, our, like, emotions, those aspects um, that you talked about, the, the mind kind of aspect, not the brain aspect, but those aspects um, aren't continuous. They define us. So, in a way, who we are in the physical form um, is is supported in that other realm, you know, 
as well. So, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I'm patient Robert here. He's a very patient person, you know, that that particular aspect of my state of being would also continue on. Um, and, and I just, I just thought it was interesting that the idea of, um, our physical existence, you know, carrying on characteristics, I guess, uh, um, beyond the, you know, once we get beyond our physical <laughs> occupation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the idea of, first of all, of non-locality, what that means and how that shifted, you know, views. And, and then the idea of, you know, who we are, um, Will, will continue to exist, in essence, in that energetic realm. Yes, I think it's, it is a fascinating dynamic that goes on that you're, you're describing well. Uh, one of the ways that we see that reality, or that reality is confirmed for us, is in the... Uh, stories we get are told by near-death experiencers, and mm -hmm. a, some of them, not all near-death experiencers, uh, you know, make it all the way into the astral realms in their awareness, but many do, and when they describe their experiences there, one of the things that stands out is that they are still very much who they were before their their near death, or effectively before their death, um, and that they have the same thoughts, they have the same memories, they have the same ability to feel emotion. Um, as you say, they they're the same personality, the characteristics of who they are that are really the most determining of of who we are, go with them into a non-physical reality. And so this is one uh, confirmation that our essence uh, includes those realities, and they're not arising from the physical body, because if they did arise from the physical body, they just simply would vanish when the body mm -hmm. dies. So that's that's one confirmation. And then the other is, as you say, this whole concept of non-locality. Non-locality is a awkward term, and it arises from uh, physicists who had to acknowledge that they were a phenomenon that they uh, identified like entanglement suggested there were local behaviors, that is to say, behaviors that uh, are measurable and observed within the physical realm, but there were also behaviors, like entanglement, that were non-local, and that is in the sense that they didn't behave in the same way as local phenomena. So one example is that a magnet, the power of a magnet, its field diminishes rapidly 
uh, as a result of distance. So, uh, you know, if you have an average size magnet that you might, you know, keep on your desk or in a drawer to have, uh, you'll find that the, its power to attract um, steel or iron uh, becomes much weaker very fast, and it's only like a few inches away from your average magnet that it has no, you know, power to to attract. Whereas in non-locality, there is no limitations due to distance. So this is why entangled particles can be connected regardless of how far apart they are on the physical, in, within the physical world, because they're connected. They, too, have this dual identity. You know, every atom has also got a astral energy counterpart, if you will, uh, that is inextricably bound up in that, in that atom. And if you can split the atom or split photons, they have they can be apart by distance, but connected in a sense uh, where there is no distance, and that is the non-locality uh, aspect. And this is also why these kind of phenomenon are generally lumped together uh, with the term quantum weirdness. You know, they're weird because they they do things that just logically don't work the way we're used to things working. So that's the origin of non-locality. Physicists just needed a, a uh, way of describing this other behavior without going into it in infinite detail each time. And they would just say, well, that behaves non-locally non and that behaves non-locally. But what string theory and M theory, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, do is they really explore the notion that it isn't just a strange behavior that makes things non-local. It's because they actually exist simultaneously with our local realm in a much greater pure energy realm. And, and, and so you can refer to that larger realm equally accurately as non-locality in the same way that we talk about Infinity, non-locality is a, uh, a, a blanket term for all of this energy realm that interpenetrates the physical realm, supports the physical realm, creates the physical realm through this holographic projection mechanism that originates in that realm. So, because, as I, we explored before the break, we have two bodies because we have a uh, astral or energy body and we have our physical body that are interpenetratingly connected. Part of us is always non-local. Part of us is always operating in a realm that has no space and therefore has no distance. And that's why uh, psychics can tune into the thoughts of someone who is physically halfway around the world, uh, 
because in their non-local origin, their non the, the non-local reality of thought, there is no distance. So they can tune in as if that person were standing right next to them, if you will, that, that there's no diminution due to distance of a, a psychic ability. And this is true also of emotions. You know, we feel each other's emotions much more than we probably realize because we tend to think and behave as if we are, you know, physical islands separated from all the other physical islands of people who, as is commonly believed, are are, are producing their own thoughts and producing their own emotions, and that those thoughts and emotions don't uh, go any further than just within that physical body. But if you can accept the fact that you have this subtle energy body that is non-local, then you realize that your emotions are interwoven you know, like two radio signals happening uh, that that the actual waves intersect and interact with each other. Our emotions do that to other people. And you can see this in uh, the behavior of crowds. Crowds are very much affected by uh, emotions that get amplified. So if you're at a sporting event and your side is, is uh, in a in a you know close finish with the other team, the emotion can build, and if you're in the stadium, you can get caught up in it, actually sort of transported by it because you're being literally affected by the emotions of thousands of other people in this non-local way. So there are a lot of anecdotal sort of evidence like that for. Uh, the non-local realities of thought and the non-local realities of emotion that give a lot of um, credibility to the idea that they really are these astral entities that the saints and sages tell us. And then consciousness. Consciousness is really beyond even just being part of the our astral reality, our, our energetic reality. Consciousness is really the, the ground of being from which everything springs. And it, therefore, behaves non-locally as well. Uh, and it's why we can... You know, in a sense, it's why we can interact at all with other people and have those other people understand us and share concepts and uh, be aware of each other. It's because we are conscious beings and we share this infinite consciousness that is spirit. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just find it, you know, fascinating. I've been, you know, around, you know, many uh. Uh, I say for, you know, my, my, 
was my my uh, college was in psychology, and I loved statistics. <laughs> it was one of those things that I just you know was really drawn to, and loved the idea of you know what were the odds of uh, someone coming up with this bit of information, not knowing anything, you know, but being yet yet being very specific and even to the point of being um, uh, something very important. You know, a significant event for something, you know, that they're, like, working with. And to me, it was just, you know, that at that point, when, when that happened, I had, I realized that there was, you know, it was beyond statistically significant that something like that could happen. So there had to be something else. You know, and that's kind of what opened me to thinking, okay, what well, is that something else, you know, that that is um, – creating an environment that can happen, you know, because logically, you know, you mentioned a couple times, logically, logically it didn't make sense with what I knew um, about how the world operated. And um, then, you know, once you look at the idea of uh, um, the, the superconscious, or you know, the fact of having one one leg in, in the physical and one in, in the energetic realm, um, then it made sense to me that there is this um, space, and not physical space, but there is this, um, you know, uh, I'm going to say space, but there is this place, you know, that that um, where where it's all feeding in to, you know, this massive energy. I mean, it, I mean it, to me it's just, I don't know, I, I just find that, that it answers, you know, that, uh, that, that greater realm answers a whole lot of questions that science, to me, couldn't answer, you know. And, and but I think, you know, when we're you know, starting to talk about some of the uh, advances science and that kind of thing. To me, it's fascinating where we can get the world of science is now explaining, you know, the ancient mystery, you know, and, and, and for, for some people, they, you know, we need that bridge, like, you know, that bridge to, you know, physical and, and, um, and, and, and having an explanation helps, <laughs> but like you say, it's really experience, you know, that the person um, will go through that, that transcends the body once, once, it, once we're done with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of confirmations for it, as you were saying, and... Um, I think for many people, the, the confirmation that there is uh, support for these more subtle realities in, in physics and in other sciences, I think is very uh, important to people because science is extremely influential. And I know that there are many people who uh, find themselves unable to believe in anything uh, in, in the spiritual realm or the subtle realm because they think science has ruled out that possibility. 
where in fact mm -hmm. uh, what I uh, discovered in my researches and you know many 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 decades of reading into these subjects um, is that the discoveries of science are actually very congruent, very uh, supportive of these subtle spiritual teachings that have been with us for for millennia. So I, my hope, my purpose in writing Break Through the Limits of the Brain or The Physics of God has been to allow for people to have a, uh, a you know, a, a door open for them into more spiritual experience from the understanding that they've gained that, that science supports it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Cash, we're down to the end of the show already, Joe. <laughs> that, that hour has just flown by. Um, so, it, you, what is it that, I mean, you kind of mentioned that you, you know, wanted, you know, the, the readers to kind of open up to the possibility, um, of, you know, breaking through the limits of the brain. Is, is there, uh, any maybe final words that you could give us, you know, for, for those who maybe want to explore that idea of, um, of super conscious well, I encourage and invite people to meditate. If they haven't already tried to meditate or already established a meditation practice, uh, give it a try. It, for one, it's, it's engagingly wonderful once you get past the initial stages of restless mind and restless body. And that will open the door to direct experience, because there's nothing more convincing to us than the direct experience of, of these subtle realities. You can talk about them intellectually forever, but unless you actually uh, have the experience of them, they will just be concepts rather than personal realities. So what I say in all my books and in every talk is meditate, meditate, meditate. That is really the answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, and the one thing that I have found too, I've had over the last twelve years, when I've had people on who are scientists by training, um, that once they got to uh, an experience, um, uh, you know, that that really tests their paradigms. Um, that's what that's what makes the shift. Is that personal experience you know, that that is in many cases sometimes undescribable, you know, but yet um forces them to to uh, open up, you know, to a different possibility, a different kind of reality. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, Joseph. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I love your book. I, it's one of those that got me thinking, <laughs> and uh, I love that when, when a book can do that and it challenges my my thoughts. And, and, uh, and certainly, you know, recognizing that you know, a lot of the limits of the brain are limits that we created, <laughs> and that we can change if we want. Yeah, we created them. We can overcome them. Absolutely. Well, thank you, sir. Um, now, if people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do it? Through your website? 
Yes, they can find contact information for me uh, on my website, as well as other other uh, resources. I already mentioned meditation uh, technique and uh, ways to establish a practice, but there's also uh, many articles there that uh, you could, you know, people could find and read. Great. That's wonderful. Wonderful to explore our website. So thank you, sir, for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Joseph Selby. We've been talking about his new book, Breaks Through the Limits of the Brain, Neuroscience, Inspiration, and Practices to Transform Your Life. Uh, do be sure to pick up that book and start um, instituting uh, some of those practices into your daily life. And for more information, you can visit his website, which is josephselby.com. And that's josephselby.com. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again... Remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.